a blessing to all nations. And today, with the story of Jacob and Esau, we continue and see the beginning of Israel as God continues to advance his faithfulness on his promises. Now, ultimately, Genesis is the beginning of God's redemptive plan. It is the greatest love story ever told. And as DJ pointed out in week one, so many of the problems that we face in our culture today, we could go back and look at Genesis and we can see where it all started and we can be reminded of God's promises and we can be reminded of his plan and the story of redemption. See, I love this story that we're talking about today with Jacob and Esau. It's a classic story that you hear growing up. And if you have siblings, especially if you're the youngest, you love this story. It's a classic story of where the youngest, who usually gets the leftovers, comes out on top. He not only tricks his brother, he's more crafty than his brother. And ultimately, he rules over his older brother. Now, I got two older sisters Dawn and Joy, like the dish detergents. <laughs> I'm thankful my parents did not name me Mr. Clean. They are two of the greatest people on the planet, but growing up, they were mean as snakes to their little brother. I'm telling you what, they would gang up on me, and I, to this day, I'm sure my mom still thinks that I was the root of everything that was ever broken in the house, every problem, every chore that was left undone, because they would barter with each other to see how they would come up and blame something on me. And I still hope if they happen to watch this, that they repent and they tell my mom the truth of all those years. But growing up, there were two inspirational stories that gave me life as the youngest of three siblings. The first is the story of Jacob and Esau. The second was the, the classic work, The Karate Kid. Because in The Karate Kid, Daniel's son was inspired after he had encountered bullies, and there was a man that stepped into his life that served as a father figure, and he spoke life over Danielson. And even when Danielson found himself challenging this group of bullies who are part of a local karate school in a karate tournament, he was brand new. The odds were impossible. Everything was stacked against him. But someone gave him hope. Someone spoke a future into him. And you'll remember the iconic scene if you've ever seen the movie. And it was this scene right here that gave me hope. Because in this scene right here, with all odds against him, injured, beaten up, not having a chance in the world, he remembered what Mr. Miyagi had spoken into him. See, Mr. Miyagi taught him a move. It was called the crane kick. And he said that the crane kick was no defensible. You couldn't defend it if it was done right. And I remember one day, my sister Joy, man, she was wearing me out, right? And, and I would, we were fighting, and I was about 10 or 11 years old. She was getting the best of me. And I know I would try to, like, fight her and then run, hide in my room until I got enough courage to come back out. Some of y'all are having flashbacks right now. We have counselors in the prayer room after the service you can speak to. But I remember she had pushed me to my limit, and all of a sudden, I remembered something. I remembered this move no defensible. And in a split second, she was coming at me, and I thought, this is my moment. David has to stand up to Goliath. A guy's got to protect himself. And in that moment, with my sister coming at me, I raised up. <laughs> and I'm here to tell you, in a split, in a split second, 
I unleashed to perfection, I mean perfectly executed, crane kick right to her nose. Yeah, I know, right? She was knocked out cold. And in that moment, I am both horrified that I just knocked my sister out, but I'm also thinking, this actually worked. This is a game changer in my life. There will be no more bullying in this household. And my oldest sister, who usually just calls things like they are, she walked in and she looked at my sister on the ground, and she looked at me. She said, oh, you in trouble, trouble. And walked out. Now, I know what trouble, trouble means. Trouble means mom is going to come home, say some things to you, probably put you on restriction. Trouble, trouble means you better wait till your daddy gets home. And there are about to be consequences that will change your future right here. That proved to be true. And it's against the backdrop of that split-second decision that greatly impacted my life that we look at the story of Jacob and Esau. See, this is more than just a story of sibling rivalry. There's so much more at stake. For in this story, this story really is about spiritual legacy, Specifically, how one's value and handling of spiritual legacy can impact family and generations. It's about obtaining and giving that which of greatest value. What is legacy? A legacy is an inheritance. It is a heritage. A legacy is a gift. It is something that both you can receive and something that you can pass on to others. See, legacy here, especially in terms of spiritual legacy, is that which is of greatest value. We're going to look at two famous accounts of these two brothers. Y'all know there's two stories here. There's the story of the sold birthright. There's the story of, of Jacob tricking his brother out of the blessing and we're going to look at how they're connected and what can we see about the rest of the story that has implications not only for our lives but for our families and for our own legacies. If you could turn in a copy of God's Word, whether you have that in a digital app or as we strongly recommend a physical copy to Genesis chapter 25. As you turn there, let me tell you a few things that we know about this passage. We know that Isaac was the son of Abraham. Chandler did a great job last week of unpacking that. We know that Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah. We know that he prayed for a child for Rebekah was barren. God honored his prayer, and she conceived and had not just one, but had two children inside of her. We know that from day one, even in the womb, that they wrestled each other. It was on. Even in the womb, the sibling rivalry started and would continue and would escalate and would end up changing their futures. We know that Esau was born first. He was described as red and hairy. We know that Jacob came out literally holding on to his heel. Let's pick up in Genesis 25 in verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So you have Esau born first. He was a hunter. He was an outdoorsman. Isaac loved him. Isaac related to him more. Isaac preferred him. Isaac liked the game that he would kill and bring home to him. It says Jacob was a homebody. He hung out around the tents. He cooked. He hung around mom. He didn't like going outside much. And Rebecca favored Jacob. In verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field. 
And he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. And that's a Hebrew word, which sounds like red there. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and he drank and he rose and he went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Remember, we said that this story is not simply about sibling rivalry. It's a story about legacy. And what we see here in this passage is a story of a legacy that is rejected. Let's unpack it just a little bit here. In verse 30, we see that Esau was out in the field. He was hunting. And he comes in and and he comes into his brother's tent and his brother had been cooking And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Now, if you're the youngest, you know this is a big moment. It is rare that an older sibling ever needs anything from you except for you to disappear. This is a big moment. When older brother comes to younger brother and says, I need something from you. This is big. This is where the negotiations are on. If my oldest sister came to me and said, hey, Tripp, I need something when we were kids, I would say, huh, oh, you need something. Oh, you know my name now, okay. You need something from me. I tell you what I would do, and it's exactly what Jacob does. I would go big. It may be something small. She said, hey, Trev, can I, I, I need some batteries. Oh, you need some batteries. How many batteries do you need? I had two double A's. Huh. How bad you need them? I, I need them. Just give them to me. I'll, I'll give you the batteries for your car. Trev, stop playing. Just give me the batteries. Okay, let's swap rooms. No, no. okay. Uh, give me your TV. Look, I'm going to beat you up. Just give me the okay. And I end up settling for a tic-tac that she found under the cushion of the couch, you know. We negotiate, and it typically would not work out in my favor no matter how hard I tried. Jacob sees his opportunity right here, and boy, does he go big. In fact, he thinks of the most valuable thing that Esau has, and he says, sell me your birthright now. Now, what is involved in a birthright? We don't know the exact details of the birthright, but we know under Mosaic law that the birthright included a double portion of the father's uh, inheritance, whatever the father left. So uh, livestock, land, money, jewels, possessions. The birthright included a double portion. He would get twice as much as his brother. We also know that the birthright included a position of power in the family. Whenever dad was gone, you would take over. You would have a position of authority. You would represent the family, not only in legal matters, but you would also be a spiritual representative before God on behalf of the family. And then there was also this idea because of that, there was a certain spiritual blessing that was attached to that. This was a big deal. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. We're talking about a bowl of stew. He says, sell me your birthright now, which begs the question, Who in their right mind would sell their birthright for a bowl of stew? Well, you you might. I might. The reality is that there are people every day who sell their future 
who sacrifice their future on the altar of temporary desires. What does Esau do here? In verse 32, Esau says, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Now, this is likely an exaggeration. I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me? He walked in on his own accord. He's having a conversation. He's not passed out like my sister was. He's he's literally having a conversation here. He's negotiating for a cup of stew. But this shows how focused he was on his appetite. How focused he was on his desire. Now, on a surface level, we all get this. How many of y'all have ever said, Oh my gosh, I have to have those shoes. I have to. How many of y'all have ever said, oh my gosh, if we don't pull this car over now and get something to eat, I am going to die. See, on a surface level, we get it. There are certain things that I have to have. I, I have to have that house. Now, you don't have to have that house. I I have to have those clothes. I have to have that new device. I have to have that car. There's certain ways that we understand it on that level. But the reality is we do it on a much bigger level as well. How do we do it? How do we sell out our future? Well, I see people all the time who are so focused on their career, who are so focused on success, who are so focused on being wealthy, who are so focused on all these things, they literally sell out their future. Esau says, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? Don't you... Don't you think if someone could just get in his ear right here and say, well, hold on. Esau, first of all, you're not about to die, bro. You're good. And second of all, think about what you're about to do. You're about to trade your future. You're about to trade God's blessing. You're about to trade your legacy. Bro, it's a bowl of stew. What if someone could have gotten in his ear And said, let's just imagine what might happen. Let's imagine what God might do in your life from here. You know the whole covenant, the Abrahamic covenant? I will make you a a great nation. I I, I will be a blessing to the world through you. You, Do you know all of that? Bro, you, you are in line for that. Just imagine that that you're going to have 12 sons. Imagine you're going to become a great nation. Imagine that one day God will introduce himself as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Esau. Imagine that God is going to speak your name and how he identifies and introduces himself. Imagine that. Imagine the legacy. Imagine everything that is at stake. Imagine if someone could have just been in his ear to say, bro, stop. Check yourself. And gotten his focus off of the bowl and put his focus on his future. Nobody did that. His brother, who should have been the one looking out for him there, was the one deceiving him. And in that moment, he has a moment of decision. His brother says, Jacob says, okay, swear to me now. It ain't no good to you? Cool. Swear. Kids today say, put it on God or put it on your mom. This was much more serious of an oath right here. He said, swear to me. And so he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread 
and little stew, and he ate, and he drank, and he rose, and he went his way. And thus Esau despised his birthright. He ate, he drank, he went on his way. And by the way, the words used there, Jacob gave him, he ate it. The words and the structure that was used there really point back to Adam and Eve, where Eve gave of the fruit to Adam, and he take it, he took it, and he ate, and they went away. The whole idea of something is going down. There is a transaction going down. There is a decision being made. And there are future and even eternal implications in the balance. He took it. He ate it. He went away. And it says, and he despised his birthright. Now, the word used here for despised is that of contempt. It's not necessarily describing his feelings as much as his valuation. Imagine how in English we use the word contempt like to be held in contempt of court. It means that he did not respect the authority, the legal process. He did not respect what was going on. He despised his birthright. And he went away. Let's remind ourselves, what did he trade here in this moment? For a bowl of stew, Esau forfeited his portion of his father's legacy. Everything that his father intended for him, everything that was to be given to him, everything that God had even ordained through the Mosaic law that come to him, he forfeited his portion of his father's legacy, but he also forfeited his position in his father's family. For a bowl of stew. We can look at that and say, man, that's a lot. This, this is heavy. How could he have done that? If only he would have considered what God could have done with his future. Have you stopped to consider what God can do with your future? Have you stopped to think about the God of the impossible, how he can do the impossible in you and through you? Have you stopped to consider that maybe God has all of these wonderful plans for you and your family and your future? And you may be trading it all for a bowl of stew. What is your bowl of stew? What is it that you may value that is temporal over that which is eternal? Here's what we know. We know that Esau traded away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. What, what is it in your life that you're selling your future for? This is something this week, even studying this, I've had to look into my life and say, Trip, what are those things that you focus on sometimes that are so temporal and it moves your eyes from that which is eternal? Imagine what God could do if our eyes were on that which mattered most. That's the first of the two famous stories. Esau sells his birthright for a cup of stew. Two chapters later, we see the other famous story of these brothers where Jacob tricks his brother Esau out of his blessing. Now, what is the blessing? How is the blessing different than the birthright? The blessing is that which was spoken over the child. It was the inheritance of God. We understand the idea of inheritance when it comes to a will. I hope all of you have a will that explains this is what I want to happen with what I have that I want to pass on, that I want to entrust to my children. 
It's a lot better that you determine that than a court determine that. We understand this idea when it comes to a will. What do I want to do with my stuff? What do I want my inheritance to look like? The blessing had to do with a spiritual inheritance. Track with me here now. The question is, what do I want to pass on that is of spiritual significance? What do I want to pass on to my children? What do I want to pass on to the next generation? It is passing on the inheritance of God. It is the favor of God, a hopeful future. It is a father speaking over his children. This is my wish for you. This is what I desire for you. This is what I pray for you. This is what I I am praying that God agrees with concerning your future. And we know in our story that Jacob wants the blessing. We see in chapter 27, verse 1, when Isaac was old, And his eyes were dim so that he could not see. He called Esau, his older son, and he said to him, my son. And he answered him, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I don't know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So he says, my son, Esau, I want to bless you. Now go into the field, do what you do, find the game that I like, bring it to me so that I may enjoy a meal, and then I'm going to bless you. As the story goes, Rebecca overhears this conversation. She goes to Jacob, whom she loves, and she said, this is what your dad just said to Esau. And here's what we're going to do about it. Quick, you go get two goats and bring it to me. And I'm going to prepare it to taste like wild game. And then what I want you to do, I want you to get the skin of these goats. And I want you to put them on your hands and put them on your neck. And what we're going to do is we're going to go in and we're going to trick your father into giving you the blessing. Jacob said it will never work. In fact, if I'm called, I'm going to be in trouble, trouble. I will be cursed by my father and not blessed by my father. And Rebecca said, let the curse come upon me. This is what we're going to do. So Jacob, he goes in. And Isaac says, who is it? And he said, oh, it's your son Esau. Really? Because you sound like Jacob. Then the lies start rolling out, and they start building. And he said, oh, no, Dad, listen. It's Esau. Here. Here's here's the meal you wanted. Well, how did you find it so quick? God prepared it. God led me to it. Now he's dragging God into the lies. And he says, Dad, you got to trust me. And Isaac caught him close, and Isaac touched his hands, and he touched his neck. And he's like, well, you sound like Jacob. But you feel like Esau. And then we see here in verse 23, he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He blessed him. Now understand again how important this blessing was. Understand how huge it was. It was so big that Rebekah conspired with Jacob against Isaac for him to get it. Why was it so important? Because it was future altering. It was life defining. This is something so big they were willing to go to any length to get it. Now this raises a question. When I first read this, I really wrestled with this. Jacob and Rebekah were clearly wrong for tricking Isaac. They were deceitful. They lied. They brought the name of the Lord into this. Yet throughout Scripture, God praises Jacob and not Esau. Why? 
Why? They were deceptive about this. Why did God allow this plan to succeed and for the youngest to receive this blessing? Why? Hebrews chapter 12 clues us in on this. Esau did not see a connection between the birthright and the blessing. Hebrews 12, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing he was rejected for he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. Hebrews explains that because he sold his birthright, because he had no concern for that which was most important, because his eyes were on that which were temporal, God allowed this plan of Rebekah and Jacob to continue. God allowed him to receive this blessing. God does not intervene because Esau was so short-sighted. So Isaac blessed Jacob. What was the blessing? In verse 26, his father said to Isaac, his father Isaac said to, to Jacob, come near and kiss me, my son. The blessing involved intimacy, number one. Which, by the way, our children today crave intimacy. Number two, he begins to speak the blessing. Verse 28 and 29, may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you. Let nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. What was the blessing? It was a blessing of divine favor moving forward. It was the inheritance of God. And notice what the blessing says. May God do this. May God do that. May God do this in your life right here. So many times as parents, we are guilty of telling our children what we want them to do. I want you to grow up and do this. I want you to be successful in this way. I have these plans for your life. I have that. Notice that the blessing involved not what we want, but may God do this in your life. It is literally speaking God into the life of your children. May your eyes be on what God wants to do. May it be on his program. May it be on his agenda. May your life and your desires and your will be so aligned with that of God, there is no doubt that any blessing in your life is coming from him. There's no doubt that the purposes of your life are for him. There is no doubt that your very identity is because of who he has created you to be. May God do this. He reaches back into the Abrahamic covenant. And the blessing was a declaration of divine favor and provision and protection and divine dominion. See, the blessing represents the hopes and the wishes for the child concerning a spiritual legacy. He, he blesses Jacob. He speaks this over him. And Jacob leaves, and Jacob is barely out of the room when Esau walks in. And he says, Dad, here I am. I got your game. I got your food. I'm ready for this blessing. Here we go. This is a big moment I've been waiting on. And in verse 33 it says, Then Isaac trembled violent, very violently. And he said, Who was it then that just honey game and brought it to me? And I ate and I blessed him. And yes, he shall be blessed. And as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceeding great and bitter cry, and he said to his father, Bless me, 
even me also, oh my Father. We're left here with a scene that if you put yourself in this story is heart-wrenching. You have a father who is shaking violently on his deathbed. You have a son who is begging his father for something. And in this moment, Isaac says, I've already blessed your brother. Why is Isaac shaking violently here? I think there's two reasons. Number one, I think at first it's because he was tricked by his wife and and by his son. But I think of how he responds next, and I have to believe in this moment, Isaac has a realization that all along he has been looking to his own appetites and not what God was doing in his family. Let's go back. When Rebecca was pregnant with the twins in her womb, they wrestled each other, and she called out to God, and she said, God, why is this happening inside of me? And we see here in Genesis 25, 23, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided, and one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Prior to this whole scene taking place, even when they were in the womb, God let Rebecca know, this is how this story is going to play out. There's no way Isaac didn't know that. Then why was Isaac continuing on trying to push the blessing to Esau and not to Jacob? It was because of his own desires and his own appetite. And I believe in this moment because he doesn't take the blessing out. He doesn't say, let's put this bad boy in reverse and let's try to fix it. In that moment, I believe he realizes that all along he was more concerned about his own desires than what God was doing in and through his family. He took his eyes off the story of God and he put them on himself. And I think in that moment he realized, I'm not going to stop in this moment what God wants to do. And he wept. And he said, Esau, what is done is done. Esau, in this moment, is begging his dad. He's begging for a blessing. Yes, he's angry at his brother. He even says, I'm going to kill him. But he begged his father for a blessing. Hebrews 12 had already told us why. When he sought the blessing of God, now he could not repent because what was done was done. He had disqualified himself from the blessing. I wonder how many families today are described by this scene. Esau begging for a blessing. Isaac realizing that he put his eyes on his own desires and not what God wanted to do in and through his family. Let me tell you, as I work with teenagers day in and day out, we have a generation of children that are begging for a blessing. Our children are begging for a blessing. Many of them have tasted the world and they realize that the bowl of stew runs out. They realize that the things of this world do not satisfy. Several weeks ago, we took a bunch of middle schoolers to middle school camp. That Thursday night at camp, we're standing around or sitting around a campfire. And students get up and one after another begin to share what God is doing in their life. And I'm telling you, the spirit of God was on that place as these students began to pour their hearts out. And let me tell you what I heard time after time after time again. Student after student said, this is what God did in my life this week. And I'm nervous about going home. Because when I get home, I don't know that my mom and my dad will have these conversations with me. I don't know that in my house we can talk about things of God like we talk about things of God here at camp. 
I want so desperately for God to work in my life. I want to align my life with what he wants for me. I just, I don't even know if my parents will bring me to church. I don't know if they're going to support these decisions. You may be sitting there saying, listen, Trip, I can promise you, my kid ain't saying that. I bet you they are. And they may not be saying it out loud, but I promise you that's the cry of their heart. And sometimes it's the ones that push the hardest against the things of God are the ones that know the most they need it. They know that what this world offers them, it doesn't satisfy. They're scared. They don't know how to bring it up. They don't know how to have conversations with you about it. But inside their heart is the need for Jesus. Where's the redemption in our story? We're kind of left with a hot mess where every single character in this family in some way tried to do it their way and not God's way. Where's the redemption? The redemption is this, that God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful to his agenda. God is faithful to who he is. And the promise that he made to Abraham, the promise that he confirmed in Jacob, the promise that he confirmed in David. As Chandler pointed out last week, this lineage continues, and in Matthew chapter 1, you can read about it. And it goes all the way until we come to Jesus. And Jesus not only fulfills this promise. He not only supplies it, he not only makes it happen, but he also fully receives this promise. Check this out. Colossians 1, 15 and 19. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. What does that mean, firstborn in time? Yes, he was with God in the beginning before this world was ever created. But also in position, in preeminence. He is over all things, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Check this out. He's before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He has power over death. That in everything he might be first preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Jesus all the promises of God are fulfilled. He both fulfills and inherits the Abrahamic covenant. He inherits the promise of being a blessing to all nations of the earth when he grants salvation to all who trust in him by faith for salvation. Galatians 3. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Read that again. It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Check it out. In Christ, you're a part of this story. Because of Christ, you have an opportunity to be a part of this promise. Ephesians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God, our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And don't miss this, in verse 11, it says, In Him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit. Don't miss this 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In Christ, we receive a spiritual birthright and we receive a spiritual blessing. And it is of the greatest, the greatest value. Let's bow our heads together. Genesis is a story of new beginnings. Today can be a new beginning for you. Maybe you need a new beginning in your life. I have two questions for you today. Number one, what is your bowl of stew? What is it that has your attention more than the program and the will and the future of God and all that he has for you? What is keeping you from experiencing God's best for you? For some of you, your bowl of stew, it might be a pill. It might be a bottle. For some of you, it might be a career. For some of you, it might be a relationship. What is it that is taking your eyes off of what God wants to write in your life? What is it that is keeping you from experiencing God's best future for you? The second question is this, what spiritual legacy are you passing along? What spiritual legacy are you passing along? If you have children here, there is no greater investment of your time. There is nothing you can give them that is better than speaking a blessing over them, speaking God into their life. It doesn't matter how hard you work to give them stuff, that stuff will be gone one day. No matter how much they beg for it, ask for it, can I get $20? Can I get this? Can I get that? I promise you the core of their heart, in the deepest depths of their soul, what they crave more than anything is a relationship with Jesus Christ. What are you doing in your home to make that the preeminent focus? Oh, I promise you, our, our kids are begging for a blessing. Maybe your kids are grown. Would you continue to speak to them about things of God? Maybe you don't have children. Maybe you're waiting for children. Maybe that's not God's plan for your life right now. How are you investing in other people. In just a moment, we're gonna pray. Then we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing a song before we leave. And the name of the song is called The Blessing. It comes from the book of Numbers. This blessing was spoken by Moses to Aaron to be prayed over God's people, to be prayed over the descendants of Abraham. And the blessing is this, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and may God give you peace. Here's what I'm gonna ask for you to do this morning. After we pray, we're gonna stand. The first thing I'm gonna ask is for you to be real with yourself and honest with God and answer the question, what is a bowl of stew in my life? I promise you, we all have them. And would you say, God, I wanna give this to you. I don't wanna sacrifice my future on the altar of that which will not fulfill. The second thing I want you to do when we stand if your children are in this room, and I know many of them are in student programming or kids programming, if your children are in this room, no matter how old they are, and you can get to them, would you pull them close to you 
And would you sing this song as a prayer of blessing over them? If your children are not in this room, would you still pray a prayer of blessing over them? And then would you seek today to be that blessing to them? I want to ask you, as we open the altar during this time of worship and prayer, in Scripture, an altar was a place of both surrender and sacrifice. It was a place of worship, and it was a place of commitment. If you feel so led, would you come to the altar and say, I want to sing this song to my children over this altar. If you're here and you need a blessing, would you come down front and allow someone else to pray a prayer of blessing over you? If you say, Trip, I don't know who to pray for this morning. We got busloads of high schoolers leaving this place tomorrow to go and to seek God at high school camp. Would you pray? Would you beg God? Would you beg God to move in their hearts and their lives? And may they surrender and experience all of the spiritual legacy and inheritance that God has for them. Let's stand together as we pray. God, I pray that even in this moment right now, that this song may be our prayer over our children, over this church. And God, may it be a prayer of praise to you as we acknowledge that all of our blessings, all of our legacy, all of our spiritual heritage are about what you have done and they are found and rooted solely in you. So God, may we respond to you now. May we lift up our bowls of stew to you. May we receive and may we pass on all that you have for us as we pray together now.
agree with him, church? Sing amen. amen. over your family. Maybe your children are not here today. Maybe your children are grown and they live all the way on the other side of the country. Would you today, even via text, even through a phone call, would you find some way to encourage them spiritually if your children live at home with you? The idea of you bringing up things of God at home, it may feel so unnatural and maybe feel so weird. Trip, they're 17. I haven't really talked about things of God for 17 years. Start today. Allow God to give you a new beginning in your family today. And as you do, even if they push back, even if they say, Dad, Mom, why are y'all being weird about this? Cool. Guess what? You're speaking blessings and you're speaking life over them. And God will take that and God will bless that because he is faithful and he is true to his promises. Jeff, can you pray over us as we leave today? Father, we bless you and thank you so much for the heritage that we have in Jesus Christ. We are so grateful for the many ways that you've even spoken to us and encouraged our families today through your word. We pray, Lord, that our folks that have listened to this sermon today would be encouraged to walk in that faith. Lord, we love you and thank you for what you're going to accomplish through it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, thank you all so much for being here today. We'll see you next Sunday.